You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Um, Lord's really doing a work in my heart and calling, I believe calling our church to surrender some of the idols that we have. And I think oftentimes on Sunday mornings, if we would be honest, the clock becomes an idol of sorts. And I'm not trying to be hard on us. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Like there is a religious spirit that seeps into our hearts if we're not careful. And that is especially evident on Sunday mornings uh, when we get into this rut of preconceived expectations of what a Sunday morning needs to be like and uh, in these preconceived constraints that we are limited to. And uh, I believe God's giving us an invitation uh, to not be so limited by our, uh, by our fleshly uh, kind of religious limitations. So I'm going there, and if I go alone, great, because I know I'll encounter the Lord and his blessings there. Um, but I'm just being honest with you. The Lord is, is leading me somewhere. I do want to honor the women in the house this morning on this Mother's Day. Would you all stand to your feet if you are a woman in this place? We honor you this morning. We thank God for you. We thank God for your lives. We thank, for, thank God for what you've imparted to us. We honor you. Honor the Spirit of God in you for the anointings that you carry, for what you've taught us about the Lord. We really do bless you and honor you this morning. And so everybody else that's remained seated in this place, would you extend your hands towards these amazing women, mothers and spiritual mothers to so many of us. Lord, we bless these women this morning. We honor them in your presence as family this morning. We thank you for their lives. We thank you for their faithfulness. We thank you for their diligence. We thank you for their character, for their integrity, the ways in which they reflect your character in the home and in this church family. We thank you for the, the wisdom, lady wisdom that's uh, resident in them that they carry and exude through their lives. We pray for a double portion this morning on them. Come and rest upon them, Holy Spirit, in a fresh way. Fill them for the callings and the purposes that they, they have in front of them, that you have in front of them, fill them this morning with fresh strength, fresh energy, fresh joy, fresh peace, fresh life. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. We thank you, ladies. We honor you this morning. We love you. So many of you have meant so much to me, and you do inspire me. So thankful for the women of this church. So I'm just reminded of a testimony I heard this week of uh, Jolene Gallier being healed of diverticulitis. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to let you share the testimony at some point. I won't put you on the spot, but uh, diverticulitis is not curable. And she got a report from the doctor just a week or two ago. Um, there's, they did a CT scan. There's no sign of diverticulitis in her intestines. It's an amazing testimony uh, during midweek prayer. We, we specifically prayed for her, and she had tuned in to midweek prayer while she was at work. And as, just as we were praying for her diver, diverticulitis, and um, she never had any more symptoms ever since then, but then she went to the doctor, and the Lord, and the Lord gave her that, that confirming um, uh, doctoral test, you know, 
demonstrating her, you know, essentially going to the priest and showing that she is clean now. And uh, just praise the Lord, the testimony of the fact that he is alive. And I'm going to have her testify before the whole church here in a few weeks. So just look out, Jolene. She probably won't be here for now a few weeks. But um, If you have your Bibles, quickly turn to Matthew chapter 18. I want us to talk about offense, which sounds fun, I know. We're going to talk about offenses in our heart that oftentimes brew and grow into something more, into unforgiveness and bitterness. As we're talking about life in this, life together in this kingdom, this kingdom following King Jesus, that means something now for our lives one to another. And I remember it was actually my dad who taught me this, I thought, great imagery of now what it means to follow Jesus. He said, Drew, I, I don't think it's as, as helpful to think of Jesus in, in terms of a list. Like Jesus is number one, then your spouse, then your kids, then your work. He said that's not, not always super helpful, especially in the, the day-to-day grind of, of prioritizing things. He said it's much better to think of Jesus as the center and everything else as a spoke a center coming out from him at the center of it all. And that's been a much, much better, I feel like, biblical understanding of what it now means to follow Jesus. And now here so it is with relationship one to another. And as we come across difficult things with doing life with other people, oftentimes our flesh arises and we, we harbor offenses. And, and I would have to say the church is not, um, is, is not free of offenses. Oftentimes we find people offended, quite offended in church settings. Um, sometimes if we're honest, it's because we don't get what we want and we prefer our own agenda, our own preferences, our own styles. And so oftentimes with that, on the most basic level, what that's revealing is a, a misappropriated devotion. We've, we've been more devoted to our own pre- preferences. I'm just calling out the church, um, why there's so oftentimes offenses so... Um, abundantly in the church. But I want, us to, I want us to deal with these this morning as, we, as I bring you to the cross. Ultimately, we're going to end with communion this morning as we, as we come to the cross and allow the grace of Jesus to wash over us. Because that is the antidote for our, our bitterness and our offense. The antidote is grace. The grace of God to reorient us and to recalibrate us to the, um, to the way things truly are. Offense has a way of warping and twisting our view of things. It's, a, it's the, like the poisonous result of self-righteousness is at the root of much bitterness and offense. We think we are right, they are wrong, and we are only right and they are only wrong. And over time that gets magnified more and more and more and more twisted and more warped. And so what's needed in that moment is the grace of God to wash over us, to bring us back to the cross before his holiness and his perfection, realizing that we were indebted and yet he forgave us. A much greater debt, a much greater offense, and yet he still forgave. In fact, with great compassion, he looked at them and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18 and a parable. But before we do that, just look at Hebrews chapter 12, which will be on the screen, so you don't need to turn there. Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says, Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. So work at living clean with other people. You don't earn your holiness. 
which is at the root of what we're going to talk about this morning. We, we become holy because of the grace of God that forgives us and washes us clean. But now we, we pursue peace by living clean with others, and we do that by allowing the grace of God to wash over us. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So at the root of this is uh, bitterness, unforgiveness that's harbored and actually robs you from receiving the grace of God. Like I said earlier, because, because it's um, weaved in there is this deceptive lie of self-righteousness. So we don't want anybody to fail to receive the grace of God. We want to live clean with others. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus and he asks him about this very thing that you and I face, offense and unforgiveness. And I think like, like all of us, he's wanting to, okay, how do we deal with it? What's your take, King Jesus, on unforgiveness? How many times should I forgive my brother? So verse 21, it says, Then Peter came up and he said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Like, is, is that enough? Like, how much is too much? How many times should I forgive him, King Jesus? And verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or the King James or even the New Living Translation says 70 times seven. Not so much giving you an arithmetic problem as much as telling you innumerable times. Just keep forgiving. That's at the heart of it, Peter. It's not about you know, checking how many times they've, they've, you've, you've needed to forgive them, but just keep forgiving your brother. Verse 23, so then Jesus tells this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And, and I'll just give you a cue as you're going through the gospels and Jesus says that very thing. The kingdom of heaven may be compared. Your ears should, should perk up because now this is our way of life as a follower of King Jesus. He's telling us what this new life is like, this new way of life as citizens of another kingdom. He's saying, this is what it's like. And he uses these, this imagery and these, these allegories and stories, these parables, to bring us into this new kingdom. So this king wishes to settle accounts with his servants. In verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So this king, there is a sense of justice within him that wrongs will be made right. But at the same time, in this king, in this kingdom, there is mercy like he had pity, he had mercy on this one who asked for forgiveness. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So he didn't just like have mercy on him by saying, okay, well, just go to jail and um, over time, you know, this will get paid back. Over No, he actually gives him a clean slate. And the 10,000 talents is not some small amount. Just throwing it, just on my computer, doing a, a quick uh, uh, conversion from the number of pounds of silver 
that was related to 10,000 talents to modern-day money. It was well over $200 million that was owed in modern money. So we're we're talking about just an exorbitant debt that this this servant owed this king. And he said, "I, I forgive it. He didn't say it lightly or whimsically, but as he asked for mercy, as he asked for pity from this king, he said, okay, I'll, I'll forgive you your debt, verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. So a 100 denarii. This is, a denarii is a day's wage, so you could uh, do the math in your head, about a, a third of a year's wage or a quarter of a year's salary. That's what this man, which is, I mean, let's be honest, it's still a considerable amount of money. Um, it's becoming less and less in these, these days where people, everyone's throwing around money, but um, still, in a, still for any of us, if someone owed us $10,000 or $20,000, we'd be like, okay, that's a sizable amount of money. Um, but compared to the $200 million that he, w- that he just owed the king, it's minuscule, am I right? And yet this man has the gall, the, the self-righteousness to go and track down this man who ho- owed him this money. And he refused, and he went, went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw the hypocrisy that had taken place, they were greatly distressed. I think we all would be like, uh, this, is, this is wrong. And they went, they reported to their master, the king, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There is a a righteous anger in the heart of our Father at that sort of injustice, that sort of self-righteous injustice, that hypocrisy that is, is willing to essentially make a mockery of the cross and his extravagant grace to forgive us of our huge debts and, and essentially turn our backs on that and then hold over somebody else some offense or wrong that they've done towards us. And so at the heart of this issue of dealing with offense and unforgiveness is a proper understanding of the gospel of grace. In fact, our capacity to forgive is tied to our understanding of grace. And therefore, our antidote for unforgiveness is an immersion in grace. The grace of God upon you. Whenever we have this sense of bitterness and offense, which we'll have lots of opportunities in this world to deal with, right? Like every day, like especially if you have family in your, in your four walls, like you have opportunities to deal with offense and unforgiveness and bitterness. But every time you, you sense it rising, the antidote for it is an immersion in God's grace to come to proper alignment before a holy God, to stand before him once again and say, God, wash me with your extravagant grace that speaks a better word over me that actually saw me in my great indebtedness to you, and said, I forgive you, servant. I forgive you of your debt. $200 million, I forgive you of that. I'm going to ask Tony and, and Hannah to come because we, we are going to have communion. But
you and I, we are the first servant. You and I, we're the first servant with the massive debt before this king. And the point that Jesus is then making is that any other offense that some other servant has against you is tiny in comparison. We're talking about 10,000 talents, $200 million compared to $10,000. Any other debt that somebody else has to you, any other offense, doesn't matter if they slash your tires or if they cut you off or if it's something much deeper in the, in the four walls of your home or long-standing, uh, long-standing family offenses, all those things pale in comparison to the debt that Jesus washed us of, washed us of through the cross. That is the point of what Jesus is saying. And what that means then for us is that extravagant call to forgive. Because we have been forgiven much, we forgive. And to every moment that we forget that, we end up finding that we have a way out, a special circumstance, some special excuse that says, you know, yeah, my situation's unique. This is a, an ex- exceptionally difficult offense. This is an exceptionally difficult situation that someone um, came against me and therefore I have a way out. Every time that begins to rise up in us, it should bring us to our knees and say, God, wash me again. Wash me again with your grace that reminds me of the debt that you forgave me. You see, in this kingdom that Jesus came to introduce, there's this theme throughout scripture that Jesus is making very clear throughout the New Testament, that there are the lost, those that know that they are lost, and there are those that don't know they're lost. And Jesus said, I'm the great physician. I didn't come to to save those that are well. I came for those that are sick. I came to seek and to save the lost. And he's not saying that those that are well are truly well. It's that they don't understand that they're sick. You see, a doctor can't help somebody if they don't think that they're, they don't know that they're sick. And so at the, the root of this issue of unforgiveness is a root of self-righteousness. It's unwilling to bring themselves before the cross once again and say, God, bring me back to that place of remembrance, of remembering who you are and who I am before you and that you canceled my debt. Therefore, there's this high call to take up my cross, to follow you, King Jesus, and forgive my brother. Not five times, not seven times, seven times, 70 times. So have you encountered the love of a holy God? We were just singing about it. When you felt Jesus come into this room and his peace and his joy and his freedom come into this place, it makes me melt. It brings me to my knees. And that's where you need to bring yourself when offense and unforgiveness rears its ugly face in your life. And from that place of understanding his nearness, we're able to extend grace to others. I think it's really interesting that in the the verse right prior to to that parable, as Jesus also is talking about offense and unforgiveness, Jesus makes this promise, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And the, the specific context is in reconciling differences between brothers, between people in covenant relationship with one another we should actually sense his nearness. And I think that's the beauty of us actually remembering his sacrifice through communion this morning, is dealing with offenses and unforgiveness 
is an invitation for us to feel his nearness and with the grace of God washing over us, release that person of that debt. That debt that you're holding over them, that offense that you're holding over their head. You're holding them hostage to. It's the grace of God and his nearness. There he is in your midst. Can you really harbor unforgiveness when the king who paid your debt is right here looking at you? I mean, just think about it. I mean, think of the gall of that servant who just got forgiven $200 million and he turns around and then he ruthlessly holds that debt, the small debt over that other servant. Imagine that king actually standing right there. It's not, not what we do. Like we, we sit in church or whenever, we go throughout our day and we, we harbor these offenses and unfor- unforgiveness. And I'm preaching myself here. King Jesus is standing right here. And he's like, son, daughter, I forgave you. I forgave you. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to make eye contact with you. It kind of reminds me of my seven-year-old lately who's been trying to do that trick on me. I'm talking to her and she's avoiding eye contact with me. I mean, we do those things with, with King Jesus. We, we do those childish things, those immature things where we, we don't want to make eye contact. We're going to hold on to this offense. We're going to hold on to this, this uh, unforgiveness like a blankie. We're going to avoid eye contact with this one who just forgave us a, a massive debt. The sacrifice of our king and his extravagant grace calls us to turn around and extend the grace to others, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to choose to forgive because you've been forgiven. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it makes it instantly go away. But what you'll find is more and more and more a compassion growing towards that person the heart of the Father towards that person, as you release them day after day, as you choose to forgive them day after day, as you immerse yourself in the grace of God, reminding yourself of the debt that you've been forgiven, eventually, more and more, you're released from it, and there's a compassion that's poured out over your heart. And eventually, you can say what Jesus said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you'd all stand in this place, we're gonna receive communion. There is a freedom that many people do not even know about, and it's the freedom of living with an unoffendable heart. King Jesus gives you and I this invitation to love like he loves, to have compassion like he he does, to live in the supernatural love of God that keeps no record of wrong, as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. That's freedom the freedom of an unoffendable heart. If you're joining us online, go ahead and grab a cracker, grab something to drink and join us as we receive communion as a church family this morning. Would you take the bread? I want the grace of God to be so tangible and so real in this place. is we walk into this place with a diversity of experiences from the week. Some of us have come into this place with some extra junk, some extra baggage, offenses, hurts, bitterness. And we're coming before the cross, the one 
You know, Jesus who came in the flesh and gave himself willingly on the cross for you, for me. So Lord, we pause this morning as a church family. And we remember our place of that moment in time when we were massively in debt. Like we were so far in the hole that we were wishing we could declare bankruptcy. $200 million. Like we, there's, we could never come up with the amount that we owed you because of our sin specifically against you, our rebellion against you. And yet you came and you forgave us willingly. You came and you took our place. That should have been us on the cross, but you took our place as the sacrificial lamb, as the sufficient sacrifice. And I would just invite you to meditate on the reality of his body actually coming, communicates his nearness, God with us. So would you break the bread and eat the bread right now? the cup this cup represents the covenant of his blood that becomes the the answer for like the contractual uh, fulfillment of this covenant there must be a payment for sin and he paid it every debt that was owed to him, he made a way for it to be forgiven. And you may be in this place and you feel like you, you lived a pretty good life, so maybe your debt was only 200 million. There's some of us in this place, we've lived a pretty stupid life, like we just have really stubborn hearts, and so maybe our debt was exorbitantly more than that, a billion dollars. The amount's not so much the issue as much as it was a debt that we could not pay and yet Jesus could pay it because he came and he lived a sinless life and he willingly spilt his blood for us. And now it's by his stripes that we have forgiveness, that we have healing in our bodies. This is the goodness of God poured out for you. So let's drink of the cup. And close your eyes. Because his nearness stops us in our tracks. And is calling us to stop ignoring his glance. If there's an offense in your heart, deal with it right now. If there is a root of bitterness, Deal with it right now because your debt has been forgiven.
Release that person. Choose to forgive. In some situations, it doesn't merit you going to that person. Some situations, it does. I'm I'm not telling you you need to give yourself over to abuse. I'm saying release that person of that debt, of that offense. You choose to live free as a child of God now who's been forgiven of much. Therefore, you can love much. You you can forgive. Lord, we release every offense, every root of bitterness. We don't want it to corrupt many. We don't want it to rob us from receiving grace. We receive your grace this morning. And every wrong done against us, we release those debts. Every offense we throw before you We choose to forgive. Give us hearts. Give us a capacity to love like you do. Have a compassion for those broken people that hurt us. People that come against us. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.